Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Happy, beautiful day to all. This is the Tax Answers Advisor. I extend a very warm welcome. This is Marcelino Dodge, enrolled agent. We're up to show number 35 And we're growing just a little bit every week. We certainly appreciate all the listeners around the world. Yes, here in the United States, uh, over in Asia and Europe, it's great to have an international audience on such uh, important tax topics that affect uh, many, many people and oftentimes everybody in one way or another. So we're very glad to have you all listening You can also listen to this podcast on various platforms. Of course, you can go to Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. We also keep in mind that if you have any questions or you want to discuss something, or if you'd like to take advantage of our free mutual exploration session that we give each client, you're welcome to give me a call. And that number is 844-394-4287. You can also give me an email at success at cashtracksfinancial.com. I'm going to begin today's program just asking you a question. Are you still waiting for your tax refund? If you are, you are not alone at all. How do I know this? Well, it just recently came out from the taxpayer advocate, Aaron Collins, that There is a backlog with the IRS of 35 million unprocessed individual and business tax returns. These require manual processing. And there's a few reasons why this is required. One is perhaps uh, these are paper filed returns and they need to be entered in. And sometimes This also is because there's uh, the fund that tax preparers had this year of having to deal with the recovery rebate credit, while some of those returns don't have that matched. Of course, the recovery rebate credit is the tax return name for the stimulus payments that was sent out in the beginning of January and then also back in May of 2020. That could have also caused a delay in your tax return. Now, another area that could be causing a delay in your tax return is a unique provision that they allowed this year where if you choose, you could use your 2019 income to calculate the earned income tax credit for the year. And if you happened to do that and your return is being delayed, that is why they're manually processing to verify that that is calculated and done correctly. What is kind of disturbing about these numbers, this 35 million, is one, that's five times as many that were manually processed in the year 2019. Also think about this, just under half of that 35 million is paper filed returns, which what does that mean? That means that just over half of those were electronically filed returns. And I know that's absolutely true in 
my own uh, tax returns that I filed for various clients this year. There's some that are still waiting for a refund. And I have many that ended up waiting at least 10 weeks for a refund. If you're still waiting, all we can pretty much say is be patient and wait. And eventually, they'll get to yours. I've done some checking on some that I've worked with. In fact, what's happened is it says, this one is not even processed yet, or they've barely started processing it. There's just not much we can do with that. But we just encourage you is that what I'm doing is encouraging you to just, all you can do is be patient and wait. And eventually, unexpectedly, if you're having a direct deposit, you'll get that money deposited to your account. If you're getting a check from the IRS, one day you're just going to have a check show up. So that's just the best way to put it with that. Now, today's specific topic that we're going to discuss has to deal with how divorce affects your taxes. And that is a huge effect it can have because there's individual, there's not just the married couple, in some cases, children are involved. It, it can just be a huge mess. It is a sad reality in this world is that divorce does happen. And it's unfortunate when it does. And I've had some divorces in the clients that I work with uh, through the years, which has created uh, just challenges for me as a professional, conflicts of interest that I have to address, which any tax professional that's dealing with that, they they could have a conflict of interest that they need to make sure they get disclosures on. Fortunately, most of the ones I have worked with have been have been very amicable, but there's always a few that are not don't go quite smoothly, and there's disagreements there. So we're going to touch on some of the many challenges that exist today, so that if you happen to be dealing with the divorce or potentially one in the future going to see what you can do to help to protect yourself and what recommendations I'm going to make in various matters so that indeed you do come out pretty good tax-wise anyway. That's all. I'm not talking about any legal things, just tax-wise, which just like in many areas of life, whether it's starting a business or especially starting a business, or perhaps if you're just trying to plan for retirement, it's good to talk to a tax person. In the case of divorce, that's my recommendation as well. Don't just talk to your attorney. Make sure you have a tax person involved. So what are the challenges that arise when divorce or there's divorce proceedings happening? Well, the first one is filing status. What's the filing status going to be for, for you uh, before the divorce, if one's being planned, and even after the divorce? There's a circumstance that hit in there. We're going to touch on that. Who's going to be the custodial parent if children are involved? What is a custodial parent? Because in every situation from the tax standpoint, regardless of what's mentioned in the divorce decree or the instrument that's used from the court, for tax purposes, there is a custodial parent. What tax credits and benefits do custodial and non-custodial parents receive? We're going to touch on those as well. And then even some on the tax treatment of alimony. Then if we have time a little bit later, we're going to look at perhaps touching on like uh, retirement plans and even tax treatment of uh, property settlements that come in. But for today's area, we're mainly going to look at the individuals, uh, the family, uh, the, the parents involved and individuals involved in it. Now, when you come to marital and filing status in regards to a divorce coming in, depending on so many circumstances, it's, are you considered married? Are you considered not married? Are you considered married? What is your status? Because during the court, when a divorce is happening, 
there's like a ton of options depending on circumstances. And that's where uh, I, as a tax professional or the tax professional that's working with you, needs to all ask the proper questions and get the proper understanding so that according to the tax code, you have the correct filing status. And among those, of course, you can be married, filing joint, sometimes in a divorce at in a divorce situation that, that does occur at least for one last year. There's married filing separately, head of household, or even maybe single. What are some of the areas that can affect this? Well, of course, you can have a common law marriage. You can be legally married and living together or legally married, living apart, or then you can actually be divorced. What you have to keep in mind, though, is that no matter what happens or goes on the rest of the tax year, there's only one date that matters. And that date is December 31st. What is your status on December 31st? And this is where it always gets tricky with individuals because they, they make certain claims or whatever. Oh, well, this happened and thus I should be considered this filing status or this happened and I should be this filing status. Well, what is your status on December 31st? Well, I always try to tell people as I work with them, if you're getting a divorce, I, depending on circumstances, it may be good for you to make sure or try your best to have it concluded by December 31st. That way you are considered single or unmarried for the entire year. Because if the divorce is not final, uh, you could still be considered married. Now, if the circumstances are, are there, you may be considered uh, unmarried if you have the correct circumstances. And so what qualifies one to be considered unmarried, even if they are legally married. This is a unique provision in the tax code that allows individuals to have a, a, a certain filing status. So to be considered unmarried, well, first of all, you are still legally married, but, and this happens in divorce cases when these are in the process, and I've worked with several ones on this, is that you live apart from the spouse from July 1 through December 31st that uh, you're apart from your spouse, the spouse does not stay even one night in your home. You're completely apart for that last six months of the year. Secondly, you remain maintain a separate residence from that spouse, and you have children for more than six months. And then, of course, you file a separate return. So the spouse that has the children the separate residence and has been apart from the other individual for, like say, at least July 1st through the end of the year, then that person can actually file for head of household status, even though they're still legally married. Now, that's one possibility. Now, the other possibility is uh, in a divorce comes up is that you still may be able to file married filing jointly, which... Uh, has advantages, has disadvantages, but it does have the most favorable tax status. And ones don't always agree on this. And why is this? Well, because depending on tax status, there could be issues if you're, for, for example, a wife who does not want to be responsible for taxes that the husband may have, especially if the husband, for example, runs a business and has self-employment tax in certain areas, you may not want to be liable for those. So, you may not want to do married filing joint. And that's where instead of doing married filing joint, you may do married filing separately. 
so that you don't share in those responsibilities of, uh, of the husband for taxes he may have in regards to some type of business. Now, if you do married filing jointly, you cannot go back and change it later to married filing separately. You're, you're kind of stuck on the hook there. But there are some provisions that may be able to help you uh, down the road if, uh, if you need to. But that's topic for another show. But if you do file jointly and you are concerned about refund, this is one of the great areas in the tax code that sometimes under is not spoken about enough. Let me put it like that. And what it is, is that if you have a married filing joint couple and they're getting a, a significant refund and they do direct deposit, I've done this in the past and it's worked very well. They, of course, they paid me for my preparation of the tax return. What we do is we attach the form 88. 88 to the tax return. What does that do? Well, that allows us to then divvy up the refund and hopefully you can get them to agree amount. Okay, we're going to say this much of the federal refund is going to go to the husband. This much of the federal refund is going to go to the wife. And if they can at least agree on that, and then we don't have to worry about any distribution of money because the IRS will send the refund separately to each of them and they'll get it. Now, for the state, it depends on the state. Uh, whether the state allows that or has that available or not. Uh, so they still may have to deal on a state refund with that, but those rules can vary from state to state. And I'm not going to uh, talk, address that in particular state. You have to look at your own state rules in regards to such matters there. If you choose to go married filing separately, each spouse then reports their own income, their own exemptions, their own deductions. They claim or their own credit, say do everything. Now, this is the least attractive of all of the filing statuses because there is a current limit under loss for certain deductions and certain credits you're just not eligible for if you do married filing separately. So it's it has a place. And in the case of a divorce, that may be the actual place where you need to go. That I don't know. But once again, until we discover and have all the facts down on the table, then we will know if that's the right option or not. One of the limitations with going married filing separately is that if uh, one of the spouses uses a standard deduction, the other spouse must use that. But if a spouse uses the itemized deduction, then they both need to go ahead and use that itemized deduction if you file that way. So that is a limitation, which that can actually cause problems because if uh, one, for example, the husband files itemized deductions and has plenty to be able to do it, but then the wife is filing there or few there and does not have that many deductions, it could end up hurting her. So that's where it could end up being a very big mess. So we certainly caution ones in making that choice, but it may still may be the right one for the couple. I don't know. It just varies from case to case. If you live in a community property state, there's additional issues and challenges that come up. Not going to get into those, but that those do happen and those rules according to whatever state that you're in that's a community property state. Uh, there, most of the income and withholding, again, is all split. Husband gets his, uh, his split there. The wife gets her split there. And most of the time, this, is the, this, this, this ends up good and is not good, especially if there's challenges uh, and a lot of maybe uh, unkindness between them. This may be the only filing option available, married filing separately. So, But it also depends on perhaps what the court, what the court says. Because sometimes courts, and I've encountered this, court will say, well, for this year, you need to do married filing joint. 
But for future years, because it's going to be over, you're going to be this particular filing status. So that's what the court's going to recommend. So now we go into now head of household, which I touched on just a little bit, little bit earlier. Now with head of household, you got to be considered, you can be, you can still be married, but can be considered unmarried if you meet up to the qualifications I met up before with the big one, of course, being that uh, not having the one spouse in the home from July 1st to the end of the year. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come back and discuss even a little bit more on head of household here. That's just a little bit to get you warmed up. When we return in a couple minutes here on the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Each year you file taxes, save money, spend money, and run your business. You try to educate yourself and manage as much as you can on your own. But no matter how hard you search, trying to find the solutions right for you can lead to frustration and burnout. The traditional tax filing and bookkeeping approach no longer works. In a perfect world, the tax professional would work with you throughout the year so you have more time and energy to do the things you love. Marcelino Dodge at Cash Tracks Financial believes you should focus on your job and have a partner to support you to take care of everything else. That is why we developed our personal success and business success bundles. Our clients achieve better results because we focus on more than just tax and bookkeeping stuff. We start with a no-cost mutual exploration meeting to determine if our success bundles are right for you. To schedule your free mutual exploration session, call 844-394-4287, email success at cashtracksfinancial.com or visit cashtracksfinancial.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. To reach our program today, please call in. The number is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Now, back to the Tax Answers Advisor. Welcome back to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. It's just wonderful to have you listening to the program today. Picking up on the costs of divorce. How does that affect your taxes? What questions arise? What questions need to be answered during the course of divorce? Well, as I've been mentioned earlier, even in the case of a divorce, I recommend having some type of tax professional working with you in addition to your attorney. That way you have your tax area covered. Before the break, I was started on talking about head of household. Yes, you're considered unmarried, even though you 
could still legally be married. You could be considered unmarried if you do not have uh, the one spouse in the home from July 1st through December 31st of the year. You could be considered unmarried and thus qualify to file as head of household. Of course, in addition to that, you need to pay the cost of your home for more than half the year. And you need to be supporting a qualified dependent, which is usually a child or children in the case of a divorce. So those are some very important considerations. Now, if you are in this situation, having to go through a divorce or dealing with a divorce or just uh, completed a divorce, I highly recommend that you do not use your friend down the street or the person says, oh, it's easy to do the tax return or you can do this or you can do that. No, you need to go to a true tax professional to get your tax return done in that case to make sure it is done correctly. You need to also provide full details if you're going through the divorce to the tax professional. So an accurate decision can be made as to your filing status, a recommendation, not just going off of, well, my neighbor said I could do this. No, just because your neighbor did it or your neighbor said it doesn't mean you can do that. You have to stay within the tax code because you can always end up with some cloud from the IRS hanging over your head that they could come, they could come and get you if there's something or at least come and get money from you or request money for you or a repayment if something was claimed that should not have been claimed. Uh, if you're in a community property state, of course, talk to your tax professional. Those uh, tax professionals who are in community property states are probably very familiar with those situations. Now, once again, is it a good idea to file jointly? I don't know. That's why you need to get full disclosure, all the information to your tax professional when a divorce is happening that way. They can uh, do the tax return properly for you and in a complete way. So, Children always end up being a very big sticking point in a divorce. Many times, and I see this happen, is that maybe joint custody is given to children in the case of a divorce. However, from a tax standpoint, there is still what's considered a custodial parent and a non-custodial parent. Now, how is that determination made? Well, that determination is usually made within the, the divorce document, the instrument that is being used. And it's so important that if you are an individual going through a divorce situation, uh, is to make sure that the document itself says you are the custodial parent. At least that's my recommendation because that makes things a whole lot easier for you at tax time. And this is important because of all the tax benefits regarding children, refundable, non-refundable credits, especially a lot of the information that came out with the 2021, the child tax credit, the earned income tax credit, child care education, all these areas are affected by whether you're the custodial parent or the non-custodial parent. And as we just, some of the information that just came out this week, while there may be some more adjustments to taxes, but where we are right now, as of the date of this broadcast, uh, it's essential that you go according to uh, having a custodial parent. And even regardless of what they do tax-wise or if they make any changes in tax legislation, have a tax person. It'd be good for you to be uh, classified as a custodial parent if you're in that situation. So once again, 
I can't stress enough how important it is to have a tax professional working with you as part of your consultation team in the event of the divorce, because I've actually uh, had some individuals uh, who are going through circumstances such as a divorce, and I have helped and I have just given direction is just exactly what the law says. This is what you qualify for. This is what happens in this case. Uh, these credits, all of this. It's very clear as to what the laws are. And you need to make sure that that you make these requests in court and get, get the information from a tax uh, professional who is doing it. Now, the custodial parent, once again, as I mentioned, the divorce decree, I recommend that the divorce decree specifies this. And if for some odd reason it does not, it's the child who spent the most nights with, with, with the parent, which you can't say it's even nights because there's not even an even number of the days in the year except every four years. So there's going to be one parent that the, that the child has stayed with more than half the year or the most nights, and that is going to be the custodial parent. It's just that simple. Now, if the unlikely happens and there just happens to be equal nights, then who's the custodial parent for tax purposes that year? That would be the parent that has the higher adjusted gross income. Now, if you are the custodial parent, basically you get all of the tax credits. You have, you basically, you get everything. It's just that simple because according to IRS regulations, the custodial parent gets the primary interest. And that's in particular going from 2009 up to today. That's pretty much how the rules are, regardless of what is placed on a county court order. The IRS goes by their rules, not what county courts say. Now, of course, the custodial parent has the option to waive the dependency for the non-custodial parent. Now, this is where it can really get, once again, very sticky because many court cases will say, well, this parent can claim the child in odd years. This parent can claim the child in even years. And that's how they do it. But this, but this parent is the custodial parent. Well, the court decree says that. Now, with that, though, the one who has the custody of the children or the custodial parent is the one that really has the authority to make decisions. Now, if you are a non-custodial parent, this is what happens if you come into my office in this situation and you have your document from the court dated after 2009 that says you can claim your child for dependency in odd years, which we're in an odd year right now. So what I tell the person is basically what I'm telling you here is that, okay, this document is great, but this isn't going to protect you with the IRS. You can send this document in, but the IRS is not going to accept it. So what I tell parents, non-custodial parents is, Here's this form 8332. It is an authorization to, for you to claim the dependent in this year. And that's the only way I do the tax return. I will not do it otherwise. Because with that written declaration, you as the non-custodial parent get all the benefits that a non-custodial parent can receive. 
and claiming independent that uh, is not basically not living with you, but visits you, of course. So that is absolutely essential. It is a must. And if anybody tells you, oh, I just file it, use the court document, they have not studied the rules and really know now. Of course, you can file it whatever way you want. But I will tell you this. If the custodial parent files and and follows some information that I'm going to talk about a little bit later, and you don't have that form 8332 on your tax return, the IRS will disallow the dependency because you did not file that document. Even if you send the court document in, they'll still disallow it because you have to have that form or some type of written declaration that is not a divorce decree or some type of settlement agreement. It's, it's just that simple. Now, if you're one of those that parents that happen to have a divorce decree or separation agreement that is dated 2008 or earlier, you can still claim them, but those documents are even tricky as well because it, there has to be no condition on it. And what do I mean by condition? What I mean by condition is the fact that a lot of times before 2009, there were some of those documents that said, uh, this father can claim the child if he's current on his child support. That is considered a condition by the IRS. And thus, because of that, they would not accept it as a means to claim the child. And I personally had this happen in various cases that I worked with, which is when I started always saying, okay, you as a custodial parent, we want form A332. I, I can't just go with what this court document says. I have to have this form. If I don't ask for this form, I'm not doing my job as a tax professional in helping you as my client. We must get that in order for you to be able to do it. Now, a big, big misunderstanding that happens with uh, non-custodial parents, and, I, and to me, this is fraudulent, is that a non-custodial parent thinks, oh, they gave me the 8332. Oh, the court document says I can claim the child. Yes, the court document does. But even if you get the form 8332, there are still some things you do not receive as the non-custodial parent. Like, for example, one, you're not head of household. You're still considered single. You're just getting the opportunity to claim this child for the year. Now, if you as a custodial parent waive the dependency, keep this in mind. You still claim the earned income tax credit. Well, why is it? Well, that's because that is not based on dependency. That is based on residency, where that child physically resides for the year. Also, you can claim the dependent care credit as well. And a biggie here, which is I've done several times over the years, is that even though you maybe waive the dependency, you can still file as head of household. There's a, there's a line on there, and the tax professional can certainly help you in doing that. It is absolutely essential. Once again, you go through these situations. Why I recommend a tax professional, not your neighbor who says, oh, I could put it in on this software right here, and we can get it done. No, a tax professional that really looks at children, and that's one of my areas that I really look at and really come to study over the years is these particular rules regarding children, because I have so many people, so many cases where people come in and say this, oh, I can claim this child because of this or this. And it's like, well, here's what the IRS says. And we go from there. 
Now, here's some interesting information in regards to whether custodial or non-custodial effects in there. And some of that has to do with both of them may claim medical and dental expenses. If you qualify to itemize, you may be able to claim some medical and dental expenses paid for the, tr- paid for the child. Tax-free healthcare benefits may be offered through your employer. You can also use HSA distributions uh, for medical expenses as well and take advantage of those. So some very nice, interesting provisions there. Now, if by chance the custodial parent is ill, or has some type of, uh, I don't know, challenge. You're not able to care for the child for, for, some, for a period of time or whatever the case may be. That individual is still considered the custodial parent. So if the uh, child happens to go stay with the non-custodial parent for a while because of maybe the custodial parent being ill, that is only considered a temporary absence. And so the custodial parent still gets all the benefits of being the custodial parent of it. So that's very simple and very straightforward. Now, of course, something I deal with, and I had a case come up again this year, and it comes up a few times every year, is the fact that does the early file get the dependent? Well, if you file electronically, unfortunately, yes, they do. However, I say that however because In many of these cases, what I have seen is that the non-custodial parent who had no previous interest in the child all of a sudden claims them for tax return because of the tax benefits, which is a really sad deal is that sometimes it comes across that children are are more like dollar signs to, to some parents than they are actual children. Now, if you happen to be that way, and this is what happens, and I have this happen once or twice every year with clients who are divorced situations and one of the parents, well, the non-custodial parent in these cases, thinks they can claim the child. And so they claim the child, they put it in, they get their W-2s, and as soon as they can file a tax return in January, they get it filed and they get that claim. Now, they think, oh, great, I got this big check. It's great, it's wonderful. Well, yeah, you did. However, once again, Did you have the right to that deduction? Did you have the right to that earned income tax credit? Because many times non-custodial parents will think, well, I can claim the child, I can get the earned income tax credit. No, that's wrong, you can't. You're not eligible for that credit if the child does not live with you. What will happen, at least if these are one of my clients, this is what happens. What happens is that if you do that, if that's done, what I do is I come in, I sit down with, with, with the client and say, okay, this is what happened. This says so-and-so was claimed on a tax return. Okay, child one, we say, okay, I say, go this. Go find your school records with your address on it. Go find the medical records with your address on it. Uh, let's do the court document that shows you're the custodial parent. And let's also have maybe a utility bill that has your address on it. So all these items that show an address physical address of where this child resided for the year. We take that information, we prepare the tax return, and we mail in the tax return to get processed. So what happens? Well, you submit those documents to the IRS with a completed tax return, you get your refund. 
But then we're going back saying, oh, well, wait a minute. This individual here uh, claimed something he shouldn't have claimed. Exactly. What happens? While the non-custodial parent that essentially uh, fraudulently made claims and credits that they should not have, they will get a bill from the IRS or they'll get something saying, prove that you can claim this child. Anyway, what I say is that I let the IRS fix it. Unfortunately, I have a client currently who has been waiting months. And his is probably one of those 35 million that I mentioned earlier that's still waiting to be processed. We're going to finish up this here on early filer independence in just a moment. As we come back on the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Each year you file taxes, save money, spend money, and run your business. You try to educate yourself and manage as much as you can on your own. But no matter how hard you search, trying to find the solutions right for you can lead to frustration and burnout. The traditional tax filing and bookkeeping approach no longer works. In a perfect world, the tax professional would work with you throughout the year so you have more time and energy to do the things you love. Marcelino Dodge at Cash Tracks Financial believes you should focus on your job and have a partner to support you to take care of everything else. That is why we developed our personal success and business success bundles. Our clients achieve better results because we focus on more than just tax and bookkeeping stuff. We start with a no-cost mutual exploration meeting to determine if our success bundles are right for you. To schedule your free mutual exploration session, call 844-394-4287, email success at cashtracksfinancial.com or visit cashtracksfinancial.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. To reach our program today, please call in. The number is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Now, back to the Tax Answers Advisor. Welcome back to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Certainly enjoy you listening to the program today or if you're listening to it at a later date. Great. This is vital information if you're going through a divorce and you need to know how do I deal with dependents or if I've gone through a divorce and the non-custodial parent likes to claim my child when they're not eligible to, that's basically where, I'm, where I am right now with the program is that the IRS will fix it. Don't let a tax professional say, well, they got it. You can't do anything about it. Well, no. 
you're gone to a professional that says such things, you need to find another professional that knows how to fix it. Because yes, it can be fixed. And I've done it several times over the years. And usually, usually after you do it once, it usually doesn't happen again. Because a taxpayer that falsely claimed a child on a tax return usually gets a bill uh, for several thousand dollars plus interest and penalties. They usually don't want, they usually don't like that and usually won't do it again. So let's let the IRS fix it by filing the proper documentation along with your tax return. Now, if you had to paper file this year, you could be, once again, as I mentioned before the break, you could be among the 35 million that are still waiting to be processed, but you will eventually get your refund. Now, if you pay child support, this is another misnomer that ones have. Well, I pay child support. I should be able to claim the child as a dependent. Well, no. The child support there is to support the child. It doesn't give you any type of tax deduction. In fact, child support is considered tax neutral. It's not income to the parent receiving the child, and it is not a deduction for the parent paying the child support. So just keep that in mind as you go through it. Well, that covers about dependence on there. And that's a whole topic in itself. As you see, took up most of this uh, program is talking about the people part of it there. Now, just talking a little bit more on alimony. Got a few moments here to talk about that. Now, what exactly is alimony? This can be cash or check. It's not property. And to get alimony, not member of the same household. It is also payments that end with death. And it's also payments that are not treated as child support. Now, sometimes you can have child support and you can have alimony paid both. So it can vary there, but it's not child support. Now, keep in mind that back in 2017, when they passed Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, there were changes on alimony. Yes, if it's a pre-2019, which basically means if it's 2018 or earlier, uh, that allows for a taxpayer to deduct their uh, alimony. And then, of course, and that's income to the individual receiving the alimony. That's for agreements that are in place for 2018 and earlier. If you have one for 2019 or later, change. That's not deductible for the payer, and it's also is not income for the recipient. Now, an interesting fact about this, and is that if you are receiving alimony, and it is taxable, so if you're still receiving it under a, under a 2018 or earlier uh, divorce instrument, and you're paying tax on it, you can actually contribute to an IRA if you have no other earned income. So it's very interesting of what you can do with that. So that's a fascinating fact. But if it's 2019 or later that your agreement is, you can't contribute to an IRA. Now we've got some uh, retirement plans here. Let's talk about retirement plans. Now, when it comes to retirement plans on your uh, divorce, there's a few things that come into play here. I've dealt with some of these over time as well. One area you would keep in mind is that Social Security is not divided. That just goes to whoever the recipient is. Now, in some cases, you have individuals who can... Uh, still claim some Social Security benefits off of uh, off of like their ex-spouse once they get to a certain age, but that 
that's pretty much about the extent of it. But if each, each of you have a certain amount of social security that you have, that just stays put, you get, you get whatever that is. Where it gets a little bit tricky for everybody is when you get into uh, other retirement plans like IRAs, 401ks, uh, sometimes those are divided up. It just depends on what the court decides. In the case of a qualified plan, such as a 401k, what's known as a qualified domestic relations order is sometimes put into place via the court decree. Also, that is known as a quadro. Those are governed by each state laws. Now, in these particular orders, what happens sometimes is that you have an individual who uh, maybe hadn't worked or whatever the case may be. The court comes in and says, okay, uh, the husband has a certain amount in his uh, 401k, and due to whatever reason, the wife is eligible to get X amount of this. And thus, within the quadro agreement then, they put in that the participant, the alternate payee, they put in the percentage of the benefits that to be paid. They put in the number of payments and the specific plan to which it applies. They put all of that in, into this document. What happens here is then this document, once, once everything is complete, and so say the wife gets a certain percentage of the husband's 401k, the wife then takes that document and brings it to an investment professional, which I'm also happen to be investment licensed as well. And I've seen these and I look at them and I go through them and I say, okay, this says that you are to get 50%, which that's oftentimes a number I've seen 50% of this particular retirement plan, which all the documents are filled out and sent in. And then essentially the, in this case, the wife opens up a separate IRA account and the money is transferred from the husband's retirement plan to the wife's retirement plan. And with that, what's really nice though, is that in that transfer, it's a tax-free transfer so that the wife does not pay the 10% penalty for, for that transfer of that quadro amount into her name. Areas such as basis is prorated based on interest and present value that all gets prorated in there. Uh, and with that, see, that's where I mentioned about putting it into an IRA. The reason uh, a spouse would wanna do that if they're receiving funds from the quadro is that they avoid the automatic 20% withholding that happens on those plans because if you take money out of a 401k or the type of qualified plan, the custodian usually will hold out at least 20%, which is why I always recommend if you're taking money out of a retirement plan, just don't cash it out. In the case of a quadro, just don't cash it out. Just don't say, okay, I want all the money. No, let's put it into an IRA. That way you have full control over what happens once you get that money transferred. And if uh, later date, after the money is transferred, the receiving spouse decides, you know, I'd like to have some of that now, then they're going to be subject to, well, they could be subject to the 10% penalty, as well as regular income tax on that qualified plan for those contributions. So it's, it's a very, very important to keep these things in mind with a qualified plan. Now, the same could be Similar guidelines for an IRA, if there's a large IRA involved, but there's no, the quadro is not involved then. If an IRA transfer happens as a result of a divorce decree of some sort or the written instrument, 
it's not that transfer once again is non-taxable it's paid to the spouse and very simple actually very simple process when it occurs if that occurs because of the divorce instrument so then if you do transfer to a non-spouse that's when it becomes taxable and certainly i don't see in this case where it would happen but that's certainly something again that you would want to be sure and avoid now, some property settlements that occur in the case of divorce, which can be costly, is general rule is that, of course, actually not costly is what I really should say, because the general rule is in a property settlement, there's no gain or loss when you transfer between spouses, especially if it's incident to divorce. Usually those happen with one year after the final divorce. Now, sometimes it can take up to six years. Once again, by divorce instrument, once again, still considered these uh, transfers tax-free. Now, if for some unknown, unexplained reason, this couldn't happen within six years, uh, it could still be considered incident to the divorce, but you got to show factors that this transfer just was not possible for, for whatever reason there. So you just got to be, with these general things, just kind of keep, keep these in mind on any type of property transfer. Now, we look at the personal home. And a personal home can have very much sentimental value. I mean, home for the children. Uh, you can be concerned about rise or fall of prices. And of course, what comes in here is what's the Section 121 gain exclusion, which is uh, up to 250,000 individual or 500,000 for a married couple on uh, exclusion of gain on the sale of a home. So we got to be very careful on a home because very different things happen here and there's different kind of situations that arise. So it's very important to think about these things in regards to it because interest deductibility, especially if you're in an area where you're deducting interest on a home, ownership is important. Uses of residence is important. Loan liability plays in there. And of course, divorce instruments on mortgage payments. And it's like, how does all of that come together for me? Well, what we got to think about and how this comes together is the titling of everything matters. And the divorce instrument matters too, because in some cases you have uh, a wife living in a home, but by divorce instrument, the, the husband or ex-husband here pays the mortgage. What happens there in that case? Well, it depends on a number of factors. Well, first thing is, what's the title? If it's tenants in common and they're joined on the mortgage, basically it's half and half. Half is alimony of those payments, they're considered alimony, and 50% of it is considered interest. Now, you have a husband that holds title, but the loan is still joint, which that's kind of, these are some unusual circumstances, but it can happen where the husband just holds title of the home, he's the only one on the home, but the loan itself is is a joint loan, well, but he makes the payments. Half of the mortgage, then payment is considered alimony. And all of the real estate taxes are considered alimony because Jack's paying all the taxes. Now, of course, each, if they can, qualify to take 50% of the interest, but because Jack holds title and is the only one that pays taxes, he deducts all of the taxes. And then if Jack holds both the title and the mortgage and solely on the mortgage there, all the payments are considered alimony, and then Jack just deducts everything. This is this that's kind of just a broad overview of what of what happens, but yet 
in a personal home once again. And as we go through this whole issue with divorce, I just want to stress and emphasize again how important it is to have a tax professional working with you. And of course, if you've worked with one jointly through the years, it may be, well, it would be to your advantage for each of you maybe to get a different tax professional, find one who can really help you. Uh, it all depends on circumstances, but I would definitely say or recommend not using the same one, both of you, because you need to have someone that's fully going to look out for your interest. Because if you're, if you're both going to the same one and, they're, and he's giving you advice, you got to make sure they're looking out for your interests. And if for some reason you do, I would recommend having that tax professional, make sure that tax professional knows there's a conflict of interest. And, and he may, if he's really working with you, he should have you sign some type of conflict of interest waiver. As you go through a divorce, there's a lot of issues, tax issues that arise. Your attorney does a great job at what he does. But once again, I recommend having a tax professional help you through all of these various uh, divorce matters there. So if you are looking to do what you can, do it, but use a tax professional through this. Now, again, as I mentioned, anything that come up today in the program or anything that you're very interested in discussing, certainly give me a call. That is 844 844- 394-4287. And of course, my email is success at cashtracksfinancial.com. All of these are very, very important to consider, especially when it comes to divorce and good planning is essential. If you would like to have a few free mutual exploration sessions, and I do do these meetings uh, across the country, I will meet with you through Zoom. We got document transfer, which makes it easy to review your documents, review your uh, past tax returns uh, to help you to set up a business. We can work through all of this is available by means of this office because we are here to help you to plan and to pay as little tax as possible. Again, give me a call, 844-394-4287 or success at cashtracksfinancial.com. I appreciate and thank you for listening this week. We'll talk again next week, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.